0: I legit, 100%, unironically, shamelessly love Nickelback.
1: And that is all the time that we have. (laughs) Welcome to the Honest
0: Ghost Podcast, a show examining the insights, strategies, and values of real business people doing customer service the right way.
1: Welcome to the Honest Ghost Podcast. I'm Travis Souders. Thank you for hanging with us over our break. We've been on a bit of hiatus uh, doing some replays for you. Uh, part of that is because we've been working on getting this show together. Uh, I am very delighted to have AJ Kirsch, uh, who I have known from college here at Chico State. Uh, he's back in town. He's up from the Bay Area. AJ, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, and I
0: do appreciate your patience with <laughs> us kind of getting this together and coordinating schedules and everything, but I'm so stoked that it finally happened. And I think it has been, if I remember correctly, at least 14 years since you and I have actually been in the same space at the same time. So it's been great catching up and I'm so stoked to get this rolling.
1: I have to say that I didn't think that I would ha- be talking to you about a on, on a customer service podcast, yet here we are. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because the more that I sort of uh, think about it, the more perfect of a candidate you are to be on this show, um, because you have so many versatile ways that you do client and customer service. And what I was hoping is that you could sort of tell our listeners here the facets of what you do in in client service, because you, uh, you do a few things, and I'll let you sort of go through those uh, in your own words. Okay. Um, And, uh, and then we'll, we'll get into how, how you go about pleasing, uh, the people that you need to. So first of all, the, the one where I think most people would know you from, um, at least, uh, at least on a national celebrity kind of scale is, um, is from TV, right? Tell us a little, little bit about that.
0: Um, so one of the many hats that I wear is that I'm an actor, and um, people may have seen me, I feel like Troy McClure, like you might remember me from such shows as, uh, I almost got away with it, I was on the debut season of Dating Naked in 2014. Uh, Thank w- you for wearing clothes. Oh yeah, well, you had to talk me into it. it. <laughs> and uh, WWE Tough Enough in 2011, so I've done some reality mm-hmm. stuff. You know, that was kind of my introduction into what I'm doing nowadays, which is balancing acting, but also hosting, providing commentary and ring announcing for professional wrestling and MMA uh, events, mostly based on the West Coast. Um, And it was really pursuing this dream of becoming a professional wrestler. Like the dream was to like main event WrestleMania and get signed to WWE and everything. Um, But it was pursuing that original goal and being, you know, super focused and super driven on achieving that goal that actually opened doors that when I was pursuing the WWE dream, I had no idea were even going to be available to me. So um, there's, there's just something from my end. There's something to really be said for following something that you're really passionate about and inspired by because you really never know where it's going to take you. So I just think there's something to be said for pursuing something you're really passionate about, for following something that inspires you and just being... Open and available and receptive to the doors that might open, even if they're doors you never even considered going through before.
1: This all started from wanting to be a pro wrestler, right? Which, which I think is so fast, fascinating because it it's like it's a little kid's dream, right? Is yeah. like, that's something that you're, um most most kids most most parents uh, talk their kids out of this thing it's like okay at some point we're going to teach a little junior here that um <laughs> hey wrestling is very fun and it's cool entertainment and it's absolutely not something you should pursue did you have i i, I shouldn't say do you have because i feel like i know the answer to that I, i'm sure you encountered a lot of pushback and when you were trying to pursue this how did you stay dedicated to to what your vision was Well,
0: I kind of like to describe it as a phase I never really grew out of because I started watching wrestling just a few months before it shifted. There was a seismic shift in how wrestling was, um, I guess, produced and written and just given to fans um, you know, at the time when I started watching it was still very much geared toward kids, but then I started watching just a few months before that shift where it started getting geared more towards teenagers and young adults. So as I grew, wrestling was growing with me, which mm-hmm. is why I think I never really lost track of it the way I did Ninja Turtles or Transformers or sure. you know, I still look forward to the movie versions when they come out, but I'm oftentimes disappointed. <laughs> um but I received a little bit of pushback because, you know, it's Like any kid, I guess, who's just like 12, 13 years old, I'm going to be this when I grow up. And it's like, yeah, I'm just sure you are. Uh, My parents were always super supportive, but they were also very realistic in that the chances of you making it are so slim. And that wasn't, you can't do it. That was um, just preparing me for the reality of the situation. My dad played football in college. He was a kicker. And at one point he had aspirations of going to the NFL. Uh, He got hurt. And it didn't happen. And, you know, most, I think 2% of college athletes go on to sign with a professional sports organization of any kind, whether it's the NFL or CFL or European, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So, and with WWE, um, which, you know, there was competition at the time. There was WWE. There was World Championship Wrestling, WCW. So there were different places you could go if you wanted to be a pro wrestler. But come early 2001, it was only WWE, which was WWF at the time. So, you have thousands, if not tens of thousands, if not maybe even more than that, around the world all vying for the same,
1: same hundred state. or so spots. Same yeah, right? it's a
0: super small roster because it's not there aren't teams. I mean, there's different rosters nowadays because there are different shows, but um when that kind of competition subsided, so too did the number of spots available for people who wanted to, you know, get signed to the WWE, which was you know, I was still a fan. I hadn't started training yet, so it was a super exciting time to be a fan. But at the same time, there was that realization where it's like, oh man, there just aren't as many places to work nowadays. So when I started training in 2003, that reality dawned on me, uh, which wasn't exactly super motivating at the time. But I just made up my mind. I don't remember the moment it happened. I don't remember the moment I decided like I am going to pursue this, but it didn't stop me from pursuing it. I was just like, this is something that I feel like I have to do. Otherwise I'm always going to wonder what if, and that's just a, that's a terrible feeling
1: along the way. Uh, and, and I feel like this is where things really start to tie into, um, to appeasing clients, appe- appeasing customers. Like it's an entertainment industry. And right. so I, uh, I feel like it's probably safe to say, right? Like if you have to be one thing, uh, you have to be entertaining. Did you always look at that? Like, do you equate like being entertaining with uh, client service in, in a way?
0: You have to, if you're in any type of entertainment industry, you have to, and it's, um, particularly complex because you're not just trying to please one party. You're trying to please multiple parties. Um, If you are on a show, you not only have to please the person who hired you and the person who's going to pay you and hopefully ask you to come back and keep paying you, but you have to be pleasing the audience because if you don't get over with them, then there's no reason for the promoter to bring you back. So there's a lot of trial and error there, and I think this is true with any type of live performance where you really don't know what's going to work with certain crowds or cities or certain audience until you're actually out there. I think some comedians might tell you that they have their kind of go-to jokes that they just oftentimes know will kill. And then when they don't kill, it's like, oh God, I got to come up with something else or, you know, come up with something on the fly. And pro wrestling is a performance. I don't think that's a secret anymore, but I don't think people give professional wrestlers the credit they deserve as far as their ability to improv because, every pro wrestler just like comedians have their go-to jokes musicians have their go-to songs pro wrestlers have their go-to signature maneuvers and mannerisms and taunts and catchphrases and if they're trying those out in front of a crowd for the first time and that doesn't get over, they have to think on their feet real quick mm-hmm. while maintaining the illusion of some type of combat. Right, right. So it's it's a lot of thinking on your feet, a lot more than, like I said, I think people give it credit for. Right. Yes, the outcomes are predetermined. <laughs> the two performers are oftentimes more are trying to protect each other while maintaining the illusion of a fight. But it's far more improv and listening- to the crowd, and kind of keeping track of what they respond to, so that they can not only grab their attention but keep it and keep it long enough so that the crowd goes on this ride with them.
1: Right, and as you you said, like you're um, you're really in tune. Like I, I feel like a lot of people don't understand that about live performers, wrestlers, is that you like. It's almost like if you could be watching a movie and there was something about it you didn't like, the movie can't hear you back. They right. can't hear you groaning, and so they don't. You know, the movie is what it is, um, and so you could leave a, a movie feeling really disappointed. Um, if only but, they could see me roll my eyes right, right, right. and <laughs> be like, "Fix that!" Yeah. Um, and so, so what you're saying is, uh, is that you're actually being able to take that into account. Like, it, it's you're getting live customer feedback as you're doing this. Yes. Um, On which the fly. is why it's Yelp on the fly, which seriously. is which is a really neat, um, which is a really neat dynamic, right?
0: It is, and it's it's really challenging too because you know you've got your good nights, you've got your bad nights. Um, you know, I on Friday, uh, you know, I do every Friday, I do a show called Hood Slam in Oakland, which is a twenty one and over pro wrestling show. And I can't remember the last time I just slipped and ate it. Mm -hmm. And so during my entrance, when I'm supposed to come out and I'm like the coolest... I'm supposed to put myself out there like I'm the coolest thing since sliced bread. And everybody's booing me because I'm dressed like a douche. (laughs) The character's Broseph Joe Brody and it sounds as as obnoxious as it sounds. (laughs) And I went up to step up to the second rope and I just slipped. And then there's nothing I could do about it. I just kind of hung my head and then I threw like a little tantrum because I... I remind myself that I'm a heel. I'm a bad guy. The character's right. designed to be hated. So everybody now has a reason to laugh at the jerkwad who's just come come out to Nickelback and sprayed Axe all right, over right. himself. So it's just a matter of being able to kind of roll with those punches when you don't necessarily see them coming. And then I went on with my intro and everything went fine. But as a performer, in my mind, I'm still just like, ah, that shouldn't have happened. Like, damn it! Right. But you got to be able to... Find a way to appease your audience, and so when they're like, "Ha ha, you messed up," I gotta be like, "No, I didn't. Shut up!" Right, right, and just kind of milk that for as as much as I can to get to make that
1: moment and that reaction even bigger. So you mentioned you you do uh, hood slam in Oakland. Um, it's got really uh, a cult following. Um, people who are into hood slam are not kind of into hood slam. <laughs>
0: They are way into Hood Slam. They are deep into Hood Slam.
1: Uh, so, for our listeners who don't know uh, what this is, tell me about Hood Slam. Uh, you, you touched on it briefly, 21 and over. Yeah. Um, I believe our tagline is, don't bring... Uh, the nice version. Don't bring your kids. Don't bring your effing kids. Exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, and we have a couple other taglines. The other one is, this is real. Mm-hmm. It's not like that fake-ass MMA stuff. This is 100% legit. No, it's not. I mean, that's part of the fun. <laughs> right. And uh, also, F the fans. hmm um, And... Hood Slam Which is like
1: the opposite of what we're talking about. Yes, exactly. But
0: but at the beginning of every show, I feel like I do have to kind of put this... At the beginning of every Hood Slam, the fans are chanting, F the fans! Right. F the There's some
1: tongue-in-cheek there. Absolutely. Right.
0: Just like with the This is Real slogan. Um, so Hood Slam is a 21 and over pro-wrestling party. Uh, it started out every first Friday of the month in Oakland. Uh, we have graduated to every Friday uh, at the Oakland Metro Opera House. And... It takes pro wrestling, which as I said, now it's pretty widely accepted that it's a performance. But for a long time, um, it was kind of the best kept secret in entertainment because for almost 100 years, people were under the impression that it was real. And then you look back at some of the stuff in the 70s and the 80s and you're just like, get the... Are you yeah. kidding me? Like, people were on. really stupid to yeah, think yeah. it was real, right? But also there was that kind of Santa Claus thing where, you know, on the playground, people would be like, you know wrestling's fake, right? It's like wrestling's not fake. Right, right. Um, and then, you know, but you know, at some point you learn Santa Claus isn't real and that you gotta come to grips with that, and then you learn wrestling's not real, and etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um and Hood Slam, you know, people are drinking, we've got a live band. Um we Pro Wrestling has so long been confined to the illusion that what the audience is seeing is real. And Mm. so much unnecessary uh, just stress and overthinking has been put into maintaining that illusion. We take it and we put it in the exact opposite direction. We have characters like the Stoner Brothers, (laughs) Drugs Bunny, El Chupacabra, uh, just these ridiculously over-the-top characters. And so it's like we are so committed to these characters and to a spirited, tongue-in-cheek, lively, raucous performance that the fans can't help but come on this ride with us. And so... Yes, there are those fans that have been watching for years and know the most intricate details of every storyline, but most of the Hood Slam audience, they're not even wrestling fans. They're right. just people who want to go out and have a good freaking time on a Friday night.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's um, it's kind of refreshing, I would have to imagine, especially like someone who, who does have an acting an acting background, who, who has been around people who really need you to sell something and make things believable, um, to sort of toss all that out the window uh, once a week because uh, you're just there to have fun. And... We're just there
0: to have fun, which is where the fans came from like we it started out as just a a party in oakland in this little warehouse (laughs) called the victory warehouse i started with i started with hood slam shortly after they moved to the oakland metro opera house and it really it was never really about the fans it was about a bunch of wrestlers who weren't really scratching that creative itch in any of the local family friendly traditional wrestling promotions Mm. they just wanted to get together and Have fun popping each other and entertaining each other with these ridiculous ideas. So it's like, we appreciate that the fans are there. Of course. It's what makes the show as fun as it is. But we're not doing this for the fans. We're doing it because we enjoy it. So, F the fans. You're you're
1: not going to sit there and wring your hands if someone writes a bad review on some some social media. Right. right? We'll be fine if they don't come back. Um, which is, uh, yeah, totally different dynamic. So, um, I think that's a good lead into some of the other work that you do where that kind of feedback is very important. And, and now it's an entirely different kind of master that you do have to please. Um, what is that like sort of having to, to have that versatility where, uh, on maybe on Friday night, you're sitting here thinking, you know, the only people that we need to make happy is ourselves, mm-hmm. um, we like... We are, quote-unquote, like, serving our our customers in a very specific way. Um, And then there's a different day where you're, uh, you know, you're in an entirely different mindset. You know, what is, like, uh, how easy is that for you? Um, It's taken some adjustment, I think. But, um, again, going back to just
0: pursuing a career in wrestling, one of the first things you are taught in wrestling school is to stay quiet and stay humble and part of the wrestling etiquette is when you get to a locker room or you get to a venue you go around and you introduce yourself you shake everybody's hand whether it's the first time you meet them or whether you've seen them thousands of times before and so taking that mentality to other avenues of entertainment um and just other jobs too I think has just really gone a long way to help me kind of just conduct myself as a professional um Kind of going off of that story and maybe jumping ahead a little bit, but in 2016, I won the Rock the Promo uh, Championship, which was a wrestling-style promo smack-talking battle put on by Dwayne Johnson to kind of launch his YouTube channel. And something that just blew me away but didn't surprise me at the same time was the final round was done uh, with Dwayne watching. He made the final call uh, about who the winner was, and when he got to the little boxing gym that we filmed this at in Vegas, he went around and introduced himself to every single person that was there. Production, the boxing staff, me, my opponents, as if nobody knew who he was. Right. And it just speaks volumes about the success that he's enjoying nowadays, where it's like he never, you know, everybody knows who Dwayne Johnson is. He could walk into a room and be like, <laughs> good news, I'm here. Right. And he still went around and introduced himself to everybody. And so... Even though, you know, pro wrestling kind of paved the way for my career, seeing somebody at that level of his career and me still just trying to make a name for myself in everything that I'm doing just really kind of re-inspired me to just conduct myself like a professional. Like, at Hood Slam, you know, I'm yelling, F you, bro, and F the fans and all this stuff on stage, but I still conduct myself as professionally as possible at Hood Slam, at any other professional wrestling promotion, Um, when I'm on set on acting jobs, you know, I still meet as many people as I can. I try to be social and polite and, you know, sometimes you're there at like six in the morning and it's not super fun to be there that early, but you know, it's still, it's still, I don't even know, I don't even know what the goal is. I mean, we're, (laughs) we're, I don't know what the end goal is right now, but you're still, there's still a pursuit happening and there's Mm -hmm. no reason to you know not be professional polite or I curious. mean
1: l- longevity is a pretty worthwhile goal in itself Yes, as you said like that's true the the rock has now been doing this uh boy talking about dating us for 20 years now right yeah um, that he's been um not just like not just around but like he's been the premier name more or less in his field this entire time right. and, and that's uh to, to if I'm hearing you right is at least partially due to the way that he conducts himself. Um, from this uh, this standpoint of of needing to um, to take care of people, right? Like, right. To, to make like to attend to people's needs, to treat them uh, with some humility, some and to make sure
0: that it. your audience is happy too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like your audience changes uh, pretty frequently. Whether it's you know the production company that you're working with, the director that you're shooting for, um, your co-talent in the commercial whatever it is it's like there's always there's always more you can do to be a professional
1: stepping away from the uh maybe the more performative uh arts right you so you've you've done some other um some other fairly high profile work um outside of uh the ring as it were Mm -hmm. um tell us about those those endeavors
0: uh so i've recently gotten more active in voiceovers which has been an absolute blast and just like It's still kind of surreal to me when I start talking about it. But growing up playing video games, growing up a wrestling fan, and last year I landed the role as the lead character in the My Career Mode, the quote-unquote story mode of WWE 2K19, uh, which is their flagship video game. And that uh, was, you know, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier. Like, I wanted to bring the humility you're taught in pro wrestling, and I wanted to be... You know pleasant to work with and coachable, but I was just so damn excited to be doing that work that um, 2K has kept me on the radar and has kept in touch about future
1: projects. So, well, and also, if you're not familiar, like if you're not a video game player, if you haven't touched any of the 2K games, uh, the sports games in particular, um, what we're talking about here, this uh, my career mode is. Putting essentially most people do it to put themselves in the game. You're right. creating a single character um, and you're starting this character from scratch. Usually you're developing some kind of backstory with them. You're seeing where this person came from on their road to the pro. So, uh, you know, the NBA 2K has this exact same mode, right? right? Where um, you're starting this... Uh, this journey for for an individual player athlete whatever it may be in this case wrestler and you can um, physically tweak them to make them look like you can make them you look want. like whatever you want i uh, i have tried and failed to make anybody look like me i don't <laughs> now that's your kit nowadays, it, it doesn't say a lot about the game but i think it says even less about me <laughs> <laughs> But um, the one thing that you really don't get to change on those is they have uh, recorded a lot of this backstory with a voice. AJ is the voice for that character yeah. in uh, in uh, 2K, and that is pretty damn cool. Yeah,
0: like, even, I mean, the game, it was a year ago that I was doing it, and still talking about it. I just get, like, smiley, and I it's, like, what a full circle... And again, that's I would never have even gotten that opportunity had I not pursued other acting and performance uh, endeavors. All of which I think, like I said, just to keep coming back to pro wrestling. But it really wasn't until, and then here I'm kind of touching on the thing about going through doors that you may may have not considered. It really wasn't until uh, I got to Hood Slam and kind of steered my focus away from the in ring work as a wrestler and more toward the hosting, announcing, and commentary side. Um, that I really got the confidence, not just in my ability, but in the character of Bros of Joe Brody. Because after WWE Tough Enough in 2011, um, people just wanted to see AJ Kirsch from Tough Enough because he was on WWE TV. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be a character, and I couldn't do that anymore. So it was kind of creatively stifling, in a way. I couldn't be anything but myself. And as a performer, it's like, ah, so what? So... Hood Slam, being that crowd who you know doesn't necessarily watch wrestling, I could be anybody I want. I was sick of being a good guy, so I designed brose of Joe Brody from the ground up just to be the biggest raging douche you've ever seen right. in your life. What what do I hate about people? Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so, well, having gone to school at Chico State, you know, frat culture was all over the place. Um, I bounced in one of the douchiest neighborhoods in San Francisco, so I was around that all the time. Uh, I'm a gym rat. I work out every day. and I, uh, You have high
1: uh, exposure to uh Oh, it's everywhere. Culture. Yeah.
0: And I legit, 100%, unironically, shamelessly love Nickelback. And that is all the time that we have. <laughs> so I'm like, let's put all these things together. Let's take shreds of my own personality, amplify them to an obnoxious level and then, you know, first day I was bros of Joe Brody. I was out out of the curtain spraying Axe on myself and everybody knew, aw, F this guy.
1: So crooked baseball cap, the uh, gigantic Stunner Shades, right? Yep. Um, the whole deal. I have to have tank tops, have to have board shorts.
0: Uh, yep. Yep. I look like I was on spring break uh, every day. <laughs> and I've changed up the look a little bit here and there, but it's always been the same. I mean, just...
1: Ugh. yeah ah. obnoxious I think is a good word for uh, for Joe Brody
0: yeah <laughs> and so anyway going back to the story is I don't think had I not signed with a talent agency uh, had I not pursued other acting jobs and had I not been prepared for the performance of the voiceover I don't think I would have landed that role because I still had to get lucky enough that my agency put me in touch with the audition I still had to nail the audition Um, and you know, all those pieces fell into place and I made enough of an impression with my demeanor during the work that they've invited me back for a couple different projects. So just couldn't be more grateful. Couldn't be more just, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best to enjoy where I'm at right now because I feel like I'm quote unquote doing it. Um, but also it kind of asks the question like, what's next, but I'm trying to enjoy what's now and not just focus on what's next.
1: Throughout this, um, this entire journey of yours, I, I find it really, um, compelling and, and inspiring, frankly, that, um, when we started knowing each other back in, in college, last in, uh, back, back in, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, back, yeah, whenever that was, <laughs> um, it was just not that long ago, um. <laughs> you still were very like you were very much into wrestling you were very much into nickelback god forbid <laughs> uh, you you were super into playing video games and as you said it has kind of come full circle what's really interesting to me is that along the way you um you have sort of um you've needed to please so many people to make this happen mm-hmm. in specific ways that you probably have had to learn like they they don't just come naturally so uh so I guess that's my question is as you are as you are trying to satisfy clients, right? You're working for clients along, along, you know, along this entire ladder. What does that mean for you? Um, What, what have, what definitions of client service have you encountered that you've had to fulfill?
0: That is a great question. Um, it's, it depends on the client, I guess. Um, you know, for the crowd, um, whether, if it's live performance, I'm looking for that response. Um, I'm looking that they are just, they're, paying attention to me and not their phones or they're just glued into what I'm doing. That's a
1: major challenge.
0: That is a major (laughs) challenge. I mean, they have the entire world's worth of knowledge and entertainment content in their pocket and I'm trying to get them to put it down and pay attention to what's coming out of my face. And that's not an easy task. Um, That response as a live performer is is what I'm looking for more than anything. Um, If people pop when my entrance music hits, if people are there with me to say the phrases I say each and every show. If they're there to say it with me, I know I'm reaching them. Um, and they can hear my commentary. It's over the PA. So, like, if they pop for a joke or if they're there, if they respond to something that I'm, I'm saying, I just, like, I know I've got them. If I'm acting, if I'm on set, just being available to the people who need you, um, that, you know, keeping yourself present and... Um, and I mean that physically present. Like, I mean, like, being available. Like, we need AJ on set. It's like me putting down my phone immediately and being like, I'm ready to go. What do you need? i I, I prepared. Um, I'm
1: there when they need me. You will drop everything and drive across the state if need be for an opportunity, um, and I think that ties in beautifully to what you just said, which is just the the ability to be present, to be, to show up. One um, opportunity knocks is something um, I don't think a lot of people necessarily think of that as uh, as service, right? Like you are. Like, realistically, you're trying to make this happen for yourself. Sure. You're grasping an opportunity. However, the need is there for somebody, and you're stepping up to fill that need. I think that is uh, is a really sort of underspoken um, form of client service. Would you agree with that?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I'm plugged into some um, casting websites in LA, and if there's a... I'm, I'm in Berkeley, so I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area, but if there's a compelling and, you know, an opportunity that comes along that could pay me well, I will drive down to LA, I will make an audition hopefully around noon or 1, and then drive back the same day, and hopefully whoever sees the audition I don't know if they look at where you come in from or if mm-hmm. it even matters to them, they probably just want whoever matches the specs for what they're looking for, but I'd like to think that at some point somebody's gonna see that and be like, dude drove down from the bay for this audition? Like, man, this, this guy wants it. And it may not mean anything to anybody, but When it means something to somebody, that could be the job or the person that could just be the stepping stone to the next thing, the next level. And, you know, we're talking a lot about client service. If you're not feeling serviced by your own pursuit, then listen to that voice. There's something to be said for that. Um, Even though getting up that early sucks, And working out that early sucks, and that drive sucks. That's you know, 12 hours in a car in a single day uh, for a role that they probably have 50 other people they're auditioning for. There was still an excitement the entire drive of, like, I feel like I'm doing it. could, like, be,
1: me. could be me. It could be yeah. me. It yeah. has to
0: be somebody. Why not you? Mm-hmm. Why shouldn't it be you? It's not up to you to be like, oh, not me. It's up to the person who's making that decision. Sure. But and if you the- don't make that drive and show up, then
1: it's 100% not going to be you. Right. And like when you're when you're the person writing the check and you're making the decision to pay somebody, I have to imagine that that level of want to, that level of wanting it, that probably makes you feel pretty good about uh, signing off on a check because you know that person wants to be there. Right. And right? you know they
0: want to work their ass off for you and give you the best show possible. Yeah, because you're not
1: busting it down to SoCal to uh, to half-ass it.
0: Right, <laughs> right. If you're, if you're making that drive and you're that devoted and that driven, then make the absolute most out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm on the producing side of the... Hood Slam that goes down on the final Friday of every month. So now I am on that side where I'm reaching out to talent and I'm pitching ideas and I'm seeing, like... I'm paying attention to who commits... It's our theme show. It's called Sexy Good Time Wrestle Show. And it's when Hood Slam kind of dives into a theme, like sci-fi or video games or comic books. And our roster will dress up as these famous characters from from that theme. And so I pay attention to who you know, goes the extra mile on their costume and who does their research on their character and who's available and who's not. And that makes it a lot easier for me to want to come back to them and be
1: like, I want to make a point to have you on the show. Mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing is like the way that you're defining the way that you're serving um, your Uh, your clientele, customer's clientele, right? Is uh, one, it's a ton of effort. Like your, um, whatever it is that you need to do, you're doing that. Um, Whether it's uh, making sure that you're taking a long drive, whether you're being available, whether you're um, being respectful and courteous. Those are things that I feel like are really nice values that I love to promote on the show.
0: And also just not to interrupt, but like also, how you take care of yourself is so important. Mm. Like I make a point if I'm within a half hour drive of a gym, I will wake up every morning. The first thing I do is go work out just because of how important it is to, it may not be as important to anybody else, but it's important enough to me that I would, it doesn't matter how little I sleep, I will awaken my body to prepare it for whatever lays ahead. And also, you know, diet is, is equally if not more important to me because it's how, it's it affects my energy, it affects my mood, and so if I have a long day of shooting, if I have a long drive, I will go out of my way and take the time and preparation to really take care of myself physically so that I'm not hating myself the whole time right. or and, feeling and, bad.
1: And I think listen, like people should know like it's not a vanity statement because your like your body in your line of work is your equipment. Like
0: yes. it, it's, it's my vehicle, <laughs> it is my tool. Right. Um, and it is part of. It affects the
1: roles that I get. Mm-hmm. It affects how I look on stage at Hood Slam. It's important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so all of those ideas of of to you, what clients health service is? Could you identify like two two or three things? Could one one thing? Could you boil it down to Ooh. one singular thought of why it's important to you to do those things?
0: Because I've never lost track of. Um, of what moves me and what inspires me. And you know, one of the, I just love hearing that I did a good job. Like that means a lot to me. And whether that's coming from like friends or my parents or you know, when I hear it from fans after a show, like that just means so much to me because it it makes me feel like I'm doing what I should be doing. It makes me feel like that those long drives and the injuries and the setbacks and the doubts have all led None of those matter when a fan comes up to me after a show and they're like, you were awesome. You were so on it the whole night. You kept the energy up. Whatever it was, like, you know, 2K inviting me back for upcoming projects, we'll call them, just means the world to me. It makes me feel like I'm doing a good job. I'm making my living having so much fun and doing the things I want to do. And 12-year-old me is super proud of 35-year-old me.